Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of InsideCarolina.com's Coast to Coast podcast. I'm Joey Powell, and with me, as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. This show is, of course, brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. I appreciate you being here. I hope you're as festive as I am, despite the happenings of this past week uh, in Carolina basketball, or at least the past 24 hours. Um, guys, before we get rolling today, and before I bring in Sherelle and Sean, well, I'm assuming that you guys are okay, so we're going to skip the pleasantries for today because I've got to get this out here before we get rolling. Um, just based on kind of activity on social media and, and some of the Inside Carolina subscriber base, just want to put this out there that like if you're if you're here listening to this show today and we appreciate you listening, uh, make sure you hit subscribe, make sure you rate and review us. Uh, if you're here today listening to the show uh, and expecting us to just completely like you know dump all over one single person or talk about how bad X player sucks or X coach sucks or this sucks or that sucks, this probably isn't going to be the show you're looking for. Uh, while I certainly understand that sentiment. Uh, and I understand that people are a little fired up and, and upset over the loss. Uh, this really isn't what this show is about. Coast to Coast is about uh, analysis, trying to help break down what we see and what we understand. So if you're here for just for you know reactions and, and being angry and uh, having somebody just talk about how awful things are, not really our bag. Either way, I want to get that out of the way first. Appreciate you guys being here. And the first things we'll talk about uh, as we bring Sean Moran and Cheryl McMillan here. Guys, I'm thankful for you being here. Uh, in the spirit of giving, uh, Kentucky gave the Tar Heels an absolute curb stomping in Las Vegas yesterday. Uh, I think the biggest uh, obvious takes from that are you know, the five-game winning streak that Tar Heels had put together after the Tennessee loss is over. Uh, they dropped eight and three on the season. Uh, 98 to 69, not nice. Um, and, you know, even on the heels of um, a better defensive performance against Furman, there's just not a lot to, to really be happy about yesterday. So what I want to ask you guys first, is everything terrible and is the world, you know, going straight to hell in a handbasket? Uh, is there anything positive you can take from yesterday's game? Sherelle, I'll come to you first. No, absolutely nothing. Um, and... I think I've gotten the rap of being the positive person, but I think of myself more as honest and positive. And yesterday was an embarrassment for the North Carolina program. And that's not me saying that. That's people close to the program saying that. Um, they're frustrated. They're annoyed. They're ticked off. Um, they should be because they didn't perform to the level of which they expect for themselves uh, and to the level that the program expects and to the level that the fan base expects. So um, you can't say, you know, oh, this was a, come to Jesus moment and it needed to happen so that you could move forward. No, North Carolina should never lose um, by 30 points, you know, to another blue blood shouldn't happen. And we talked about after, I guess the Tennessee game, it was like, oh, okay, well maybe Tennessee is the outlier. 
um, because that was the game that showed up with just zero emotion. They didn't look together or connected. And now it's happened twice, um, embarrassing fashion, twice within three weeks. And I think you have to say that's not the outlier and that that's a part of who this team is. It's not who they're going to be every single game, but it's going to you know pop up every, you know, every little bit. You asked this last week. You said, do you think that this team's uh, issues with getting up for games and defensive issues, do you think that has you know, rectified itself Boy, a little bit? Bury that one. Well, what we said was we said we're not sure yet because they've been so uneven. And I think what you're seeing is that they're, they're going to continue to be uneven, minus some kind of monumental change. This core group of players now has been together more than a season and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's the same issues that are popping up over and over and over again. Um, yes, the head coach is to blame. Absolutely. Um, he deserves blame. Everyone deserves blame. But at the same time, you know, these issues are going over now two different staffs. So you have to kind of look at common denominators. So again, not to single out any particular player, but I think it's fair to say that this core group has an issue with getting up for games, with energy, with effort, um, with playing unselfish basketball, and then, um, you know, also playing great defense because they just haven't done it. So there's absolutely nothing positive to take from Saturday. It was one of the lowest moments of the Carolina program that I can remember. Wow, that's and you've watched a lot of games and have been around a lot of uh, a lot of bad losses. I think the first thing that came to mind yesterday for me was the um, the forty point beating at Maryland um, on a conference game, which I think that might have been national TV as well. But the team was kind of already mired in a really bad season at that point. Sean, I'm going to ask you this, and, and and you're typically my X's and O's guy, but I'm asking you to play a little psychologist here. How does yesterday happen? Uh, great, great question, and I think to to answer that, you know, for this for this game, we were kind of privy to uh, what Kentucky was planning on on doing going into the game, mm-hmm. and it wasn't anything, you know, eye opening, but uh, kind of knowing what what they were focused on helped, you know, helped me when I was watching, just kind of see, hey, are they doing this? And Unfortunately, everything, every single thing they talked about, you could just go check, check. Um, and I'll just kind of list off a few of the things that I was watching for. One, uh, you know, we were watching the last few games after Tennessee. Kentucky was watching the Tennessee game and saying, this is who Carolina is. And that's what we want to do against them. And part of that was running love through a ton of ton of screens because they didn't think he could could handle handle that, um, you know, they did that when he was guarding Wheeler right at the beginning. Also led to an open three from Mintz early on. Um, they knew that Carolina has not been good in the pick and roll and that while it's not analytically friendly, the mid-range jump shot would be there time and time again. And I think for a poor shooting team outside of a few players, you're going to give them an open 15-footer. Hey, they're going to feel comfortable hitting that instead of taking you know, a 20-footer. 20, 20 um, they made a ton of those yesterday, both yep. guarded and otherwise. Because I, you know, I think that they were focused on, hey, this is going to be open, so let's let's focus on taking good shots right right in that area. Um, you know, they wanted Wheeler to shoot. You know, the, the teams have been playing off of him. Carolina obviously played off of him, but they wanted him to shoot, and that would open things up. Uh, and they wanted to basically just run their stuff, knowing that UNC would eventually get frustrated. Do you know going back to Tennessee, their lack of lack of talking, which I think in general had gotten better. Um, and then finally. They wanted to really pressure RJ. And I think that, you know, third possession or whatever it was when they pressured him, stole the ball, that, that kind of set the tone really for the rest of the game. Um, so it, it was really, 
you know, X's and O's, but more just kind of their general philosophy of, of how they wanted to attack Carolina and everything they did, they did exactly what they, what they wanted to. Um, but yeah, how, how did it happen? I mean, I think Carolina just did not come out with the same type of energy and intensity, um, you know, and, and they, they didn't win uh, besides the last four minutes of the first half, they didn't want, win one four minute stanza throughout really the entire, entire game, you know, with that 16 minute to 12 minute being an 8-0 Kentucky run and, and basically putting the game into double figures where it stayed the rest of the game. So to me, it was really just energy and, and lack of lack of intensity as a, as a piece of it, as a piece of it. I think I picked up on something yesterday, and also uh, I, I like that you point out that kind of checklist because something I think a lot of folks may miss at times and kind of may get caught up in the emotion of is that these games aren't played in a vacuum. Um, you know, and I can't remember who it was. It may have been Roy Williams who said at one point, but the other team is is allowed to score as well. And Kentucky just really uh, did what they wanted to yesterday. So you have to kind of tip your hat to them for that. Now, to your point, North Carolina did not do anything to stop that. And something I think I saw yesterday that I'd love to hear your thought about is North Carolina didn't look like they liked being defended. Um, yesterday, they looked very, very uncomfortable early. And I don't think they've seen anybody defend them that aggressively with the athletes that Kentucky put out there. I said on Inside Carolina Live radio show uh, yesterday on WCHL uh, prior to the game with Tommy Ashley uh, that Kentucky does not have the blue chip scores that they typically have. And that's true. But what they had yesterday were a bunch of guys that were not afraid to get into North Carolina's uh, perimeter players. Uh, they had Deshibwe, who could absolutely uh, make things difficult for Armando, and I think he was a little yippy early in his offense. Uh, but what I saw was a Targill team that has not been defended that way, and I don't think they liked it or responded well at all. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's an accurate statement, or do you think that's, uh, that's something that's kind of typical of all teams? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're right from the beginning, every single player on the perimeter was was really up in them and, and playing physical. And Carolina is not a team that is great at breaking people down off the dribble. Um, and when they did, then they have uh, Tashiwe in the in the middle, making life difficult. I think Love's first shot, he did get into the lane and, and took you know kind of a five foot floater from from the left hand, which didn't go in. And between that shot and the second shot that he missed, it was, it was almost like, Oh, you know, here, you know, this could be reminiscent of, of last year's guard play just in this particular game. Um, but, but yeah, Kentucky really defended them aggressively. Uh, as I said, that third possession, they picked up RJ full court and they're going to pressure him, which I think good teams are, are going to do going forward, um, which could make love more of a primary ball handler. But at the same time, when UNC played Michigan, UNC was the aggressor in terms of how they were defending and the intensity that they were playing with. Now, you know, is Michigan, I think we can talk about is Michigan will be a good win by the end of the season. I don't know how good they, good they are, but at the same time, UNC was at least the aggressor. Um, while this time Kentucky was, was definitely the aggressor and UNC didn't, uh, didn't want to fight back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and to, to Sherelle's point about outliers, uh, maybe right now, maybe Michigan is the outlier. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I, I think, you know, going back to looking at an entire body of work, and that's where, uh, that's where I think the, the angst from Tar Heel fans is right. I think just the, where it might be placed is something that, that we can look at. Sherelle, you, you had something you want to kind of tack on on the back of that? 
Yeah, what Sean was saying about um, guards, you know, getting up into UNC's guards. If you talk to NBA people, people who know basketball well, one of their criticisms about North Carolina is that they're not, you know, an elite athletic team or really even athletic is what, this is not me talking, this is what NBA people and people who really know basketball say. And so I think Kentucky is an athletic team Mm -hmm. and North Carolina's primary, uh, I think offense this year is either throw the ball to Armando Baycott or take tough contested shots. And so far they've been making a lot of those tough contested shots, but it's a lot harder to make those against really athletic defenders who are all over you. I think that was kind of an issue as far as X and O's wise, why North Carolina struggled um, because the guards just weren't able to create any separation for themselves um, outside of a few times. I think RJ had a really nice uh, drive into the lane, kind of turn around and went, went out the back of the rim and went in. Uh, but there weren't many of those when the game mattered. Now, after they were down 35, yeah, things opened up a little bit. But I think that was an issue um, in that Kentucky was fine to allow uh, Shibway uh, when he was in the game to cover Armando one-on-one to let Armando get his and cut everything else off. And, um, you know, that to me, that was a huge issue is that just Kentucky was more athletic and that, that allowed them to play much better defense on UNC and, and force some really tough shots. And UNC wasn't making tough shots like they have. Yeah. It's, it's funny. We've talked about on this show before um, that I think UNC has more shooters that can, they can kind of hedge against, the potential off shooting night like they would see last year when Kerwin Walton may have had an off night and, and couldn't get his. Um, and then of course they come out and a lot of this is due to Kentucky, but a lot of it was Tar Heels not making jump shots. They went one for 13 from behind the arc. Now I don't know of, of many, many things that any coaching staff can do to make shooters shoot better in the course of a game. Now, you can kind of design things to get them better shots. But what I would ask you is, what can the coaching staff do to fix some of the issues that they saw yesterday? I mean, you're going to see Appalachian State on Tuesday, which, you know, is is going to be better than a practice. The Tar Heels should win, but who knows? Um, then they get a break. And I think after the last break, the Tar Heels looked a lot better against Michigan. But what can the Tar Heels staff do to fix some of the glaring errors that we've talked about from yesterday's game against Kentucky? Sorry, I was, I was, I was going back to Sherelle. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> uh, you know, so everything I said remains true. Like, I still think it was embarrassing. It was terrible. It was horrible. But it was one game. Um, so, you know, I, I think it did show kind of, kind of where North Carolina is in the national pecking order in that they lost by 35, and it was just kind of a shoulder shrug for most of the country. So I think that is something that lasts. But as far as this particular season uh, – um, like I said, you don't want to have too many come to Jesus moments. And they've already had one where they lost to Tennessee and they had to spend the week together and get to know each other and all that good stuff. But I would continue to go back to chemistry and trying to find a way to get guys more connected and playing together because in the losses that has been a major issue in that even when they're going well, um, sometimes guys still do their own thing and it just happens to cover, be covered up because things are going well and the shots are going in. Um, so I think connectedness and, and chemistry are really important. And then um, I, I, always, I feel like we fall back on effort sometimes when we don't, aren't exactly sure what we're That's looking at. That's the fruit. No, you're right. Right, right. But I do think it is an issue. And, and, I, and I'm sure Hubert Davis and his staff are, are trying to just understand because it doesn't make any sense. Because, again, this head coach, his entire philosophy is – you should come to North Carolina and bust your butt because you had the opportunity to play for North Carolina. That's what he's preached from day one. And that just 
is not continuously flowing through and getting to the players. And I, I don't understand that disconnect. It could just be the players and he's going to have to wait until kind of quote unquote, his guys all get in here. I, I, I'm not sure what it is, but I think they just have to take long looks in the mirror and decide what they want for this season. Um, you know, how they want this season to go because as bad as it was again, one game, you know, they still have 19 more ACC games. They're one and no in the ACC. The ACC is bad. Um, so there is an opportunity to, you know, pick up some wins and maybe pick up some confidence, but they're going to have to start doing it quickly um, because now their best win doesn't look that good. Yeah. And you start talking about NCAA tournament and tiebreakers and who gets in over whom and, you know, seeding and all that stuff. And you need to start stacking wins together. And um, there's only a couple more opportunities to get good wins. Uh, I mean, really, Virginia Tech right now, I think, would be considered a really good win. And, you know, they have two knocks at Duke. And that's that's really it. There's not a lot of other yeah. good teams in the ACC right now. So all that to say, I think it's just cohesion, uh, connection. It's uh, unselfishness. It's all those things that sound, you know, kind of pie in the sky and sound very kumbaya, but that are necessary uh, with team building and getting guys to, to buy in. Well, I think that's an easy thing for people to point to and say, well, there's, you know, there's a disconnect here. I, I do agree. There is a disconnect between Hubert Davis expecting effort out of guys because that's the way he played and the way, you know, a lot of guys of his era played. Uh, but there's an absolute, you know, huge chasm right now between that and, and what's actually, you know, what's actually showing up on the floor every night, right? You can see it in some spaces, but you definitely aren't seeing it on a consistent basis. Sean, I'll ask you the same thing. Is there something this staff can do to fix some of the, uh, just the glaring errors? And there were so many to choose from against Kentucky. Um, and it can be execution things, or it can be, like Sherelle said, some of the pie-in-the-sky pie philosophy things that um, you, know, you can hope will be addressed. Uh, what, what do you think, or what would you like to see uh, attended to before the Tar Heels head into conference play? Well, definitely not something you want to be thinking about as conference play begins, but just in terms of potential different different lineups. I mean, we, we've seen really the top six, seven guys getting the majority of, of playing time. And then you have a game against Kentucky where, you know, all of a sudden the, the two guards who are, are, you know, are scoring, you know, thir say 30 plus points a game, they're not, they're not ready to play and, and they're not playing at the level that you need. Now Leaky becomes more vulnerable because now he, you know, what is his role when, when now you only have one, one guy in Armando playing. Um, so we did see, you know, we saw Harris and Leaky a little bit at the same time, which I don't think we'd seen a whole lot of before, but mm -hmm. I would like to see Manic in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I think he's, he can be pretty aggressive with his outside shot and at least getting, getting some up. Um, which could potentially, you know, free, free things up early on. Um, I think that, you know, whether it's him or Garcia, I mean, teams can play, you know, they can play a key, they can play a Brooks at the four and they're really not going to get that hurt because UNC is not looking to post those guys up too much um, at, at, at times. Um, and then, you know, in terms of the guards, uh, Kerwin didn't do himself any favors when he got in the game and, and kind of turning the ball over immediately. Uh, but that, that in my mind, that was kind of the perfect game for him to potentially come off the bench and yeah. it's, it's okay. You know, love and love and RJ are, it's not their, it's not their game, but Kerwin comes in, hits a few threes and now there's a different scoring option. Obviously that <laughs> did not come did to not fruition <laughs> at, by any means, but 
I still think is trying to establish a, a Kerwin or even a Harris or Dunn just a little bit. So there's some potential options outside of, you know, the stand, the, the status quo that works against average teams, but does not work against uh, top level teams. I think something that a lot of folks would like to see uh, hearing what Hubert Davis said early in the preseason about awarding the player who played the best defense in practice uh, and kind of giving them the starting nod. Uh, we haven't really heard any more from that uh, since that, and I'm not expecting him to list who that is or, or you know, track that publicly at least. Uh, but, Sean, I'm going to ask you, when you talk about the rotation, I think one of the easiest things, and I'm going to borrow one of Tommy Ashley's sayings here, is that a coach's greatest motivator at, motivator at times is the bench. And I don't know that we've seen that. I think probably some of the angst from uh, the fan base may have been alleviated yesterday if Hubert Davis would have benched some of the guys that were looking rough early. Now, the flip side of that is he says he wants to win, and if you're taking your best players out to try to teach them a lesson, you know, are you putting that at risk? I get that. To, your, uh, to kind of your point about the rotation, do you feel like that's actually a motivator that Hubert Davis can use, or you think that's just something that's not going to work with this team as he's trying to, to chart his path forward as a head coach? I mean, you definitely want your, your best players out there, but at the same time, you know, if RJ is getting picked uh, right right when he puts the ball from behind, on the floor yes. and he's getting blown by on defense, you know, maybe a coach needs to get into him and, and get him refocused. Or if, if Love is – you know, once again, losing the ball that, that happens, but not, not running back on defense to try to challenge a, a fast break, um, you know, throw, <laughs> they, I, yeah, they, they, there should be consequences for, for actions, especially against top teams where you can't really afford that. Um, you know, I, I thought against Elon, for instance, the team was gambling a little bit more than the normal on defense, trying to get some of those easy runouts and, and dunks, which, you know, kind of, you know, I think made them a little more sloppy on defense against a team like Kentucky. Um, but, you know, it, it always, I always, you know, when, when Roy would do the five in five out, um, you know, you're obviously losing a talent advantage, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like anybody, you know, is outside of Kerwin is, has kind of that short leash if, if they really, really are messing up. Um, and I think that could at least try to focus them a little bit more, get them locked in. But once again, there's not a lot of players you can put in given, given how short the bench has been so far. Shrill. I was going to add to, you talked about the, the, when uh, Roy would do the five in five out. I think with that, I never got the impression that he did it because someone turned the ball over or because someone, you know, missed a shot. It always seemed like they weren't effort. executing or yeah, it was energy. effort or it was mental toughness or energy or one of those things. So you would think, you know, Hubert Davis has been with Roy Williams for nine years or was with Roy Williams for nine years as an assistant. You would think that maybe that would be something that, that went over to him, but we've seen instances of people not playing with effort and they don't come out of the game. So I do think that is an issue. If I'm, if I'm, you know, Johnny on the bench, I'm saying, hmm, you know, this person, didn't run back or this person didn't fight through the screen or this person didn't do what we practice. And that's not a, it's not a skills thing. It's everything. So why am I on the bench? If I'm going to, you know, if I know that I, when I get in there, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. So I do think that is something they'll have to address, you know, to your point, Joey, about consequences and actions right now, they're, 
you know, publicly, as far as playing time, there doesn't seem to be any consequences for those kinds of actions. Again, not, we're not talking about missing shots or the occasional turnover or, you know, a foul. We're talking about effort stuff and mental toughness and those things. Things that players can control. No, absolutely. Right. Correct. All right. Cheryl, I'm going to ask you one more thing, and then we're going to put the uh, the Kentucky game in this past week to bed, which is a great, huge, deep sigh of relief for a lot of the folks listening <laughs> to this show, I'm sure. Um, Cheryl, is there anything that fans can do, or uh, you know, specifically subscribers to this podcast and Inside Carolina can do, uh, with regard to their expectations and seeing and hearing things from Hubert Davis? Because I think – uh, I think Hubert Davis's positive energy and his just general outlook on life and how he coaches um, is going to serve him well and has served him really well with building relationships and just, you know, put the public's perception of him and how he's able to, to kind of navigate through life. Where I think there is a potential issue, and we've talked about it here some, is when his praise and comments uh, come on the heels of a, you know, 28 point 29 point thrashing to a, a national brand uh sometimes that can come across as saccharine and maybe even disingenuous how would you recommend folks approach some of his post game and press conference comments uh, in light of the performance not echoing the positivity that he might be saying that is a really well thought out good question joey and i'm stalling because i don't particularly have an answer um I think you just have to listen to what he says and then look at what he does as far as minutes and, and lineups and substitutions and, and all that. Um, it can be, so take yourself back, you know, to high school or to middle school. It can be annoying being around the person who's always super positive. Like, let's yes. be honest. It, it can be like, are, are you really like that? Or are you just putting on? And from what everybody talks about with Hubert Davis, that genuinely, genuinely is how he is and what he believes and how he wants to run his program. Um, so I think you just have to learn to deal with it, honestly. Um, UNC has been fortunate or unfortunate, depending on who you talk to, um, uh, over the last few years to listen to Roe Williams. And he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks 100% with no filter whatsoever. Um, and I don't think that's very common in basketball anymore. There's not a lot of guys with that kind of cachet who are able to do that. And I think you just have to, you know, kind of distill what he says for yourself and do, do recognize that he genuinely believes a lot of the things that he says. And it's not that, you know, he's high in the sky. He just that's his way of motivating his team. So I would I would just say, hey, you know, use your own discernment, distill it yourself um, and then kind of watch what he does on the court and see how that matches his words, um, because, again, we've just been so used to Roy Williams just telling you exactly like. Claire A wasn't good to, I mean, Seven Woods, for example, he, you know, he made jokes about how he would call him eighth or sixth because he was so bad, you know, that particular game. That's not going to happen with Hubert Davis. So just have to adjust. Uh, One of the things, and I don't know how many practicing Buddhists there are listening to this show, but one of the things about Buddhism is, uh, you know, the, the Dharma teaches you that you're not supposed to accept uh, you're not supposed to, you know, take in the suffering. You're supposed to reject it and kind of accept accept things for what they are. And, and that's one of the things that frustrates people about uh, about Buddhist monks is that, you know, in 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 spite of being uh, spat upon or yelled at or whatever, they're just they're they're very even keel. They don't respond. Um, they accept that things are what they are um, and, and don't try to fight against them. 
And I think that might be a, something where people should just consider with Hubert Davis. Like he is positive. He's going to be very positive. I don't think he's, I don't think he's a, um, a non-intelligent person. I don't, I think he understands what's going on with his team. I think it's just going to take, uh, take folks a while to understand what he's saying and how it connects and, and maybe distill it differently than like you said, uh, Roy, what you would with Roy Williams is very, very astute and often, you know, often dry and honest comments after a game. Um, perspectives are just different. You know, what is not different? Johnny t-shirts reliability. Right. If you're trying to understand things, uh, you know, radical acceptance, you know what you can accept is that if you've dropped the ball on getting your gifts for the holiday season, you can go to Johnny T-shirt and they'll take care of you. As we record this here, uh, less than a week until the big day, uh, as I'm sitting here in, you know, the most fabulous attire you can imagine, uh, I would much be, be much more comfortable if this were Tar Heel Blue. And if I were looking for a suit of that nature... I would call Johnny T-Shirt because, frankly, I'm pretty sure they have something like that. Johnny T-Shirt has been supporting Inside Carolina for a long, long time. We're big fans of theirs. They're locally owned, uh, alumni operated. They care about Inside Carolina. Uh, we want you guys to care about them. If you have not taken care of that Tar Heel fan in your life for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever day that you celebrate, Boxing Day, whatever it is that you celebrate this time of year, if it involves gift giving, you have not taken care of the Tar Heel in your life, I'm going to give you one more chance to go to Johnny T-Shirt. They've been doing their 12 days of Christmas, uh, new item every day. Go by the store. Um, I'm not sure how shipping is running right now. I know things are are jammed up. You can best believe if Johnny T-Shirt can get it to you by Christmas, they will. And I've said a hundred times, if Johnny T-Shirt doesn't have it, they don't need it. They being the person in your life that you're buying for. So hit up JohnnyT-Shirt.com, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. Get that extra 10% if you use the code on the premium message boards. Uh, I mean, you know, discounts and great merch. I don't know what else you would want in a shopping experience for a Tar Heel fan. So hit JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Visit them on Franklin Street. Either way, you will be happy that you did. Take a quick break. Uh, let some of the national guys run some ads. We'll come back, talk some recruiting. Before we get out of here, you're listening to InsideCarolina.com's Coast to Coast podcast. Hey guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina, and I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned. And it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, thanks for sticking around. We appreciate it. You're listening to the Coast to Coast 
I am Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sean Moran, Cheryl McMillan, the Donder and Blitzen to my Prancer. Uh, but I'm happy that they're here. Guys, uh, it popped up this week that G.G. Jackson is going to be taking a visit to Duke. And, yeah, it just seems to be a season of many things, including consternation amongst Tar Heel fans. Sherelle, should Tar Heel fans be concerned about a visit to Duke? Uh, has that always kind of been part of uh, Gigi's plans? Do you think that's, you know, is that going to throw a curveball on anything? Are we looking at a potential window more redux here? What do you know about that, and what do you think that it might mean with regard to his recruitment? Because we know the Tar Heel staff saw him this past week in Vegas. So I'll say, and it's probably not what people want to hear, but yes, anytime a player gets on campus at Duke, who is uh, a top 10 to top 10 consensus player, then all other schools should be worried. So absolutely not telling fans they shouldn't be concerned that a top target um, is, is looking at Duke. Um, that's always something to be concerned about. On the other hand, I would say that, um, you know, Gigi's already officially visited in North Carolina. He's already unofficially visited North Carolina. So his first official visit was to North Carolina. And despite everything, you know, we, we've talked about it in a few of the weekly scoops and just on notes on the premium board, continue to hear that North Carolina is in good position. Duke has made this, <clears throat> I think, a little bit closer than the folks in Chapel Hill would have liked. You know, South Carolina is still out there too. Um, but this was a part of the plan. He mentioned uh, right after the Carolina visit, you know, again, we kind of asked, like, were you close to committing? And he was like, yeah, I was. And, um, but I we want to see... We want to just, you know, let things calm down and see if we're going to take other visits. When he visited UNT in June, we asked him, hey, were you close to committing? He was like, yeah, I thought about it, but I want to, you know, take other visits and kind of see what's out there. Um, so he's already taken a visit to Georgetown and he'll be at Duke uh, in, you know, January 21st, I think is the date. I would expect him um, and I expect UNC to push for him to be back at UNC before that official date at Duke. Uh, visit at Duke. There's talk of a UVA official visit as well. Um, so he's he's kind of doing what he said back in June and what he said back in October. I understand North Carolina fans uh, and subscribers kind of hesitation with all that, but I think North Carolina is in good position. They've always been in good position um, and they just have to, to close it out and withstand uh, Duke and Virginia. But that's what recruiting is, especially when you're talking about top five, you know, top 10, uh, Travis Brandom, who is a 24-7 sports national recruiting analyst, said he Gigi could be number one in the class. So when you are recruiting the number one player in the class, it's not just going to be a cakewalk. Um, and it, I think in the absence of real information, sometimes we, we as media, um, people who uh, read this stuff and subscribers, we start to create things and, and narratives and situations that might not be there. Right now, Gigi is following... Uh, the timeline that he set and following through with what he said he wanted to do. It may be longer than what North Carolina expected, <laughs> uh, but I still think they feel good about him. And again, everything we've heard is that um, Carolina still has a great shot and, and probably still is leading. Therein lies the rub, my man. Is it is his timeline the timeline that the rest of uh, North Carolina fandom would like to see? <laughs> that's 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 always the the magic elixir. Sean, I want to come to you to talk a little bit about Sim Wilcher. Um, he played a nationally televised game Friday night as his school, uh, Rochelle Catholic, played against Camden on ESPN. And I think a lot of IC subscribers and listeners of this pod checked that game out. Uh, what were your impressions in going back and rewatching that 
Uh, I think it's probably a lot of our listeners and subscribers first look at him. Um, but what did you think going back and looking at it? Cause you've seen him a couple of times. Uh, let us know kind of how you felt about his, his performance and, and where you think uh, he can go the rest of the year. That was definitely a, a solid performance uh, that the team was leading for most of the game before kind of giving it up to Camden and Dewan Wagner Jr. Uh, towards the end. But overall, it was a competitive game, um, you know, two nationally ranked teams. I think for, for Wiltshire, uh, you know, the important thing is taking, you know, going from a sophomore where he was starting, but, you know, kind of, you know, had to defer to the upperclassmen at times um, to, you know, as a junior now really one of the go-to, go-to players. And I can't remember the exact stats, but I think he had uh, 20 points on, you know, and was pretty efficient from a shooting perspective. Uh, I thought his, his outside shot looked, uh, looked good, a little bit better than what I'd seen last year, just in terms of, you know, where he was able to shoot it and just kind of the, the release and rotation he was able to get on his shot. I think, you know, one of the things we put in the scouting report once he committed was really his ability, kind of his, his ability on the dribble in terms of kind of his one, two, three type combo moves. And he, he can really stop and start very quickly, uh, especially when it comes to kind of pulling up and getting the defender off balance. And he has really good body control when he does, uh, does attack. I think we'd definitely like to see him, you know, handle the ball a little bit more. Uh, there's a few ball handlers on that team. Uh, so I know we talk about him being a combo guard and is he a one, is he a two, you know, right now, I, you know, I think we're, we're seeing this. Ideally you want like a pure one <laughs> at, at some point in time. And I don't think he's going to be that pure one, but at the same time, he can handle the ball. He can shoot um, looks for his teammates. So, Overall, it was, a good, it was a good start to the season against a competitive team, um, and it'll be fun to track his progress, uh, just given, you know, there's two, two more years of high school before, before he, uh, you know, will come to Carolina. Yeah, one more thing about Simeon I want to ask you, and something that jumped off the screen at me uh, when I was watching. Does he have more lift on his jump shot uh, from the legs than, than most folks? It just seems like he elevates really, really well when he's getting his shot off. Is that, is, is that me seeing something differently? Is it just the fact that he's, he's bigger than most? Is it just cause he's got long arms? What, what him, or, or is it true that he actually does, you know, have a pretty good, um, pretty good lift off the ground when he's shooting? Uh, I mean, he definitely had that when he, when he hit that three before the, the quarter, the quarter ended uh, when he kind of needed that little extra oomph cause it was a few feet from behind, behind the arc. Um, I think that, I mean, I think that, that's some, a good observation, Joey. So it's something I'll, I'll be checking out going forward. I, I think when I see, when, in terms of shooting, the thing that caught, uh, you know, catches my eye is just one, the, the re, kind of the quick release, um, as well as the rotation. But, you know, I think, you know, from a lift perspective, that was something I had had as kind of an improvement point when he was attacking the lane in terms of, of some of the lift that, that he was getting. I think he does have really good body control when he is in the air, but in terms of just, you know, it's not like he has a, a Seth Trimble type explosiveness off of, uh, right. off of one or two feet, but not, not many people do. So. Right. All right, guys, uh, before we get out of here, since this is going to be the last show that we have before uh, the big winter holiday, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever it is that, that our listeners might be celebrating, what's the one thing that you would like to see, uh, for any of your teams, and this could be a non-North Carolina thing, uh, what's the one thing you'd like to see happen 
before uh, before the new year. If you can ask, if you can ask Santa Claus or Saint Nicholas or Belschnickel or whoever you're whoever you're asking for, uh, Sherelle, I'll come to you first. Who are, who are you asking? I'm going to guess this is a Cowboys answer. <laughs> who are you? Uh, what are you asking the big man for 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 the holiday? A healthy knee for Zeke. That's what I'm asking for. How did he look today? I didn't get to see any of the game against the Giants. It was about the same. Pretty bad. He's, he's Not, still out there just, yeah, just limping just, around. He's like, he looks like the old man at the Y, for sure. <laughs> Look, man, we're, not that we're judging any old man at the Y. We're just not necessarily what you want to see in your backfield of your division-leading football team. I mean, we are the old man at the Y, so we, yeah, we can say true. that. Yeah, yeah. The YMCA won't let me in. I had, I had too much of an old man game when I was 25. Um, Sean, what's the one thing you would like to see? I don't even know where your allegiances lie, so what's the one thing you'd like to see for one of your teams? Well, I was going to say, I don't think anybody wants to hear about my, my fantasy teams because I, I don't no. really have an allegiance uh, to not, not any, N- any NFL team uh, unless unless you're betting. And one word of advice uh, that has paid off dividends over the years has always been against uh, Glennon, no matter who it is. So uh, hopefully that can win some, some people some money going forward. But the one thing to wish for is a uh, crisp, clean game against Virginia Tech in front of a, a strong crowd and two and zero in the ACC. Cause I think, uh, that would go a long way. Uh, you know, you're not gonna be able to forget the Kentucky game, but at least entering the ACC of, uh, getting some positive momentum going into 2022. Yeah. And shout out to everybody who listens to this show. That'll be heading down to Charlotte for the, uh, the Duke's Mayo bowl. Um, I'll actually be there. Tommy and I are going to be Sherelle, you going, I mean, it's right outside of your house. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there. I, I was going to add something though. I was going to add like a, a, a final thought. No, no, I just, I, 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 I feel like I was very harsh in the opening segment, uh, which I think is appropriate, but also again, 11 games. Uh, <laughs> they still have a long, long way to go. The season is very long. Um, it's longer than, you know, a lot of other sports. Look at the NFL. Think about how we were talking about the chiefs five, six weeks ago. Yeah, and think about how good. we were, think about how we were talking about the Cowboys five, six weeks ago that they were the, Best team in the NFL, and you know they're destined to go to the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs, can they make the playoffs? What's wrong with Mahomes? Stuff changes in sports quickly. Um, and I don't mean to equate it to the NFL because of injuries and all that stuff, but you can build momentum throughout the season. Obviously, Carolina hit rock bottom last night. There's no question about that. I'm not taking that away. I'm not saying things are great. I don't mean to sound positive or anything, but there are opportunities in front of them. They, like I said, they have 19 ACC games left, so you can make you can uh, change the the tune, the tenure of your season just by, you know, being good in those. And I think they have the capability to do it. Now, again, entering the season, we talked about the biggest thing was, you know, can Hubert Davis get this team to play together? And we've seen it in stretches now. Can they do it for seven straight games instead of five? Can they do it for nine straight games instead of seven? On and on and on. That's what I'm, I'm really looking for as we kind of turn into ACC play and things really get serious um, uh, because, you know, I, no one, despite what everybody says, there, let, let me go on another rant. There's NBA talent and there's college talent. North Carolina has college talent, and I will not be backed off on this. They have as much talent as probably all but five or six teams college in all talent, of college yes, basketball, yes. college talent, yes. in all of college basketball. They just have to learn to do it together and we'll see if that happens. It, it might not. And it, it might turn into a disaster of a year. I don't know, but um, you know, they're at rock bottom. So I want to see how they respond. Yeah, definitely. It would be nice to see how Hubert Davis and this new staff can, uh, can come back from a game like they had against Kentucky. All right. Get ready to put a bow on the show. Both. Well, not literal, I guess it's just proverbial bow, but um, this is the season of bows. 
And I just want to uh, say that if folks are heading to Charlotte for the Duke's Mayo Bowl, like Sherelle, uh, we are going to be doing our show live. Uh, the Inside Carolina live radio show will be down there. Tommy and I, uh, we're going to have a lot of folks on the air with us stopping by, um, enjoying things. Should be a really, really fun evening. Uh, or morning, I guess. It'll be evening. will be after the game. But that, that'll also be fun. Um, but make sure you swing by. We'll be putting some notes about where that show is going to be uh, emanating from on InsideCarolina.com very soon. But I would like to say my wish is for everybody out there to just enjoy their holiday. Uh, you know, get your happiness where you can find it. Um, if you can't find any, then then try to make some. Uh, life's too short. We only get one go around on this planet. So uh, have some fun. Uh, enjoy those around you. Uh, get all the good you can out of every moment that you have because we don't get a redo. Uh, appreciate all of you listening. Appreciate everybody subscribing uh, this time of year. You know, just want to remind you that that we, we can't do it without our, our subscribers. So thanks, rate and review us. And we'll catch you guys after the holiday. Uh, we'll have something coming for you next week as well. But um, appreciate all of you guys listening. Uh, may your days be merry and bright, and we will catch you guys next time here on the Coast to Coast Podcast. For Sean Moran, for Sean McMillan, I'm Joey Powell. Ho, ho, ho. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.